Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. We are in week three of our current series, Habits, where we're learning that small choices that we make every day add up into something bigger over time. This series will help you get fruitful results through God's Word. Today, we're going to learn how to overcome temptation. Enjoy the message. Well, we are in week three of Habits, and we're going to talk about resisting temptation. Resisting temptation. You know, it is not about if you're going to be tempted with something. It's going to be when you are tempted with something. Now, the aim of this message is a little different. We've handled this topic in the past, uh, but we're going to handle it a little differently this morning. Uh, We're going to, instead of talking about specific temptations and doing a deep dive with a specific temptation, we're going to look at how to identify when temptation comes and what to do with it, all right? So temptation is a daily part of our life, whether we know it or not. We are tempted every single day to do something we ought not to do. Uh, We are tempted to do something uh, that, uh, to be something uh, that we should or should not do something. And here's the deal, is that uh, we naturally like to break rules. We, we, We naturally like to give in to that temptation. That's what makes it tempting, right? It's actually something we might end up doing. We are naturally born rule breakers. And to be honest, sometimes we're rule breakers because sometimes rules are just silly. Sometimes there's some really dumb rules out there. Can we admit that? There's some rules like, why is that a rule? Why is that a thing? And I, the thing I just love to look up sometimes are dumb rules, all right? So here's a dumb rule. In Alabama, you can't, this is on the books today, you can't wear a fake mustache, all right? So it's got to be real, all right? So, men, you got to grow your own facial here in Alabama or you're going to jail, all right? (laughs) Alaska, I kid you not, it is illegal to wake up a sleeping bear to take a selfie. Somebody must have done it on Instagram or TikTok. Somebody must have died. And guess what? Now there's a dumb rule, all right? In Idaho, Idaho, it is illegal to give your spouse a box of chocolates that weighs more than 50 pounds. I'm sorry, honey. That was my, I was going to get something from, never mind. All right, so we don't live in Idaho. I guess I can still give you 50 pounds of chocolate, all right? (laughs) I I might get in trouble for talking about this one. Let's just do it, all right? Michigan, it is illegal for a wife to get her hair cut without her husband's permission. I shared this one with Allison, and she said, Andy, when you were on a missions trip one time, I got a haircut in Michigan without your permission. Oh, you broke the law. All right. In Nebraska, oh, this this one should never go away. This is actually a dumb, dumb law. All right. This law should stay. In Nebraska, it is illegal for a mom to give her daughter a perm without a license. The 1980s, Nebraska was a bunch of rule breakers, all right? Ohio, it's illegal to get a fish drunk. I don't, fishing must just be terrible there, all right? And finally, we got to do our home state, Wisconsin. Wisconsin, it's illegal to give an inmate imitation butter, all right? No margarine for inmates in Wisconsin because, you know, hey, you know, we're the dairy state. You can't do that. We're natural born rule breakers and we always look for the dumb to justify we are going to do our own thing. And you know that 2020 was a great example of this. Uh, During the pandemic, we were making up rules all over the place, right? And and, and we're like, we're trying to follow. They're like, be a good citizen, follow, right? And so you'd go to the restaurant, you'd wear your mask and then you'd take it off and magically COVID would go away when you'd sit down at your table. And you're thinking, 
I'm a law-abiding citizen. That's for my neighbor, right? I'm, I'm, I know I'm getting over. Off the, listen, here's the deal. I, we love to make rules. We love to rule over other people, but we ourselves don't like to abide by them, right? Because we are naturally born rule breakers, whether it be the speed limit, whether it be eating trash, even though the doctor said you better eat better, uh, whether it's running in the hallway and they say only walking, uh, whether it's there's a curfew and you're going to break curfew, you're going to sneak out, or whether it's bigger things like you just cheated on your test or you just cheated on your taxes or you're looking at something you shouldn't online. We are being tempted, whether it's the dumb or whether it's something really significant, we are naturally born rule breakers. In the University of Harvard, they found the reason why we like to break rules. The reason why we like to break rules and give it a temptation is because it gives us a rush of adrenaline. It gives us hits of dopamine, which, which can literally be more addicting than heroin. Makes you feel smarter. You break rules, makes you feel you're more capable than your peers. The rules are for somebody else, but not me. It makes me wonder why sometimes we have dumb laws, because people want you to be subject to those laws while you don't have to follow them. Uh, that's what we like. We like to break rules thinking that somehow we're better and above it all. Another reason why we give into temptation and break the rules is it makes us feel individually free. The feeling of freedom, like I'm my own boss. We like to be our own bosses, don't we? And if we have a boss, we know how they can do their job better, right? Because you can't be the boss of me. We like to break the rules. I had a friend, and I grew up in the 1980s, all right? Some of you, again, that makes me young. For some of you, that makes me old. Okay, that's okay. I'm kind of in the middle now. But I had a, I had a friend whose mom grew up in the 1980s. She was a crunchy mom before they called moms crunchy. You know what we called them in the 1980s? We called them the strict moms, all right? <laughs> all right? They, they had a lot of rules. And then this rule for my friend is he couldn't eat any sugar. None of it. He could never have candy, never have chocolate milk. He could never have soda. No sugar. So what do you think he did when he came over to our house? He raided our goodies, all right? What do you think happened when he went to church camp? Oh, it was, it was a mutiny, right? It was awful. Uh, he, he would spend all his money in a day into the canteen. Uh, he wouldn't eat his food. He'd throw everything away, all the fruits and vegetables away, right? And he would eat the dessert first. And shh, he didn't tell his mom. Why? Because he wanted to break the rules. He didn't like the rules that were over him. And you don't have to teach kids how to break rules, right? They know how to naturally do it. They figure it out. By the way, that should make us tremble when it comes to our smartphones or our passwords or how we lock things down. Our nature of wanting to rebel figures out the password. And that's why we need a heart change more than we need more rules and rules and rules. Because rules is an invitation to rebel. And biblically, we should not be surprised. Harvard put out a big study with a Bible 2,000 years ago. Uh, told us why we like to rebel, why we like to give into temptation. Paul tells the Romans in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, listen as I read it to you. He says this, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. What Paul is telling us is that if you're not in Christ, you are slaves to sin. And if you are a follower of Christ, sometimes you fall back into that and become slaves again to that sin. It beckons us daily. And if we give in to that temptation, that sin, it, we become not just a partaker of it, we become its slave. 
Our minds are naturally programmed to be rule breakers. We are naturally like sin, all right? We like sin. We like to do what is wrong. We need to admit that. We like our lives however we like it. We don't want to be our authentic selves. We want to be me. But in Christ, he's freed us from that rat race. In Christ, he has freed us from the, from the slavery of sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. But our natural selves want to be free to do whatever. And the reality is, whatever we consume, whatever we would give ourselves to, we become its servant. We become its servant. You see, we look to these other things. We want to break rules because we want the freedom, but it's in reality what we're breaking rules and stepping into, we become its slave. You are a servant to something this morning. Whom will you serve? For some of you, you're looking at freedom. You have freedom to lust. You become its servant. You have freedom to gossip. You become its servant. You become free in your money, however you want to use it. You become its servant. Who is your master this morning? Let me put it this way. Who or what is your God? We all have a God. Who is it? Is it the Lord God Almighty? Or is it a small g God? Or is it an object that has your affection? So back to Jesus for a moment. Jesus frees us from the bondage of sin. But Jesus does give us boundaries. When we look at scripture, he, he gives us ways to live. And some people will say, I don't want that. I want to do my own thing. But listen, Jesus gives us boundaries to experience freedom that nothing else can give. Yes, when you follow Christ, you become a servant of Christ. But it's only in that servanthood towards Christ you can really experience true freedom. Freedom, nothing else that can give you. We follow the ways of Christ in response to our love for him. Because of the salvation that Jesus gives us. The problem is though, our natural selves, our natural bodies that are still fallen, we're in the yet, not yet, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you become a son and daughter of the king, you're adopted, you're to be kingdom minded, the spirit comes to live in you, you're to live afresh, live anew, you're no longer slaves to sin, but yet you have this body that's at war with you. It's at war. There's a spiritual war within you. And it's tempting you to buy into cheap counterfeits. So what is your biggest temptation? What is that thing that if you just dove headfirst into, it would distract you or worse yet, destroy you? What is it? Is it cheating on the test at school? Is it the lying, the gossiping? Is it the addictions? Is it the adrenaline rush? Is it wanting that attention every time you enter the room? What is it? What is that thing that Satan wants to distract you or even destroy you? What is the chink in your armor? We will all face temptation. It's a good thing the Bible is not, uh, it has, it's a good thing the Bible has a lot to say about it. In fact, there's over 300, well over 300 occurrences of temptation alone in Scripture. And they use different words that can be translated Tried, tested, weak, frail. Now, these are moments that we can be tempted. Let me define temptation for you. Temptation is this. Anytime a person, desire, or spiritual enemy tries to influence you to sin. Let me say that again. A temptation is anytime a person, desire, or spiritual enemy tries to influence you to sin. Sin, that is to go against the will of God in your life. 
When you're being tempted, we often think of this as negative. Like, man, I'm tempted. You know, when you're being tempted, what do you think of? You often think of failure. You often think of, man, you often think of just giving in. You often think, like, oh, man, why can't God just take this temptation away? But I want to flip the script this morning. If we're all going to be tempted, it's not if, but when we're going to be tempted. On this side of heaven, we will face temptations of various kinds. If that is the case, if we cannot be gone with all of our temptations, we must take the script and flip it. It's not temptations, oh no, what if I sin? Temptation is rather this. It's an invitation not to sin. Temptation should be an invitation to obedience. When we are tempted, we realize, God, I can please you now. I'm not going to go ahead and do things for myself. I'm going to please you. So know this. When you are tempted, know that you are considered a worthy risk to the enemy. When you are tempted, I want you to know it is an opportunity for obedience. And that's our main idea this morning. Temptation is an invitation to obedience. Let temptation be an invitation to obedience. And as we unpack that, we're going to look at the influences to your temptation. And we're going to look at when temptations come, what we are to do. Temptation is an invitation to obedience. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. That's going to be our springboard passage this morning. We're going to read a lot of text, actually. But we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles or the app. And as you're turning there, let me give you an overview of the Corinthians. The Corinthians. I've mentioned them briefly in weeks past. Let's do a little bit more of a deep dive. We have two letters uh, in the Bible uh, that the Holy Spirit inspired for us to be kept and for us to instruct us for all ages. Paul wrote the Corinthians often. Uh, we have two, though, that were inspired by the Holy Spirit that are in our scriptures today. The city of Corinth was a trading hub in modern-day Greece. It was a place where cultures and religions mixed together. It was a Mecca. Uh, and it being in the Roman Empire, it was a worship center for many, many gods. And this uh, this polytheistic, this, this many-God worship, it, it, it fell into the governments and, and community activities and social life and, and the worship of everybody. It was everywhere. If you were to worship only one true God, as Christians do, you were seen as weird, you were seen as odd. Even people called them atheists because he didn't believe in the many gods of the Roman Empire. You are an outcast. This is where the Church of Corinth found itself. Corinth had a reputation in the Roman Empire of being the Las Vegas of the empire or the New Orleans. It was corrupt and morally depraved. It was so morally depraved that the city became a pejorative. Uh, there was a term that, was, that came, out of, uh, came out of Corinth that was to Corinthianize, meant to practice sexual immorality or to fall into drunken debauchery. So if someone said, oh, you Corinthian or, oh, you Corinthianized over the weekend, people know exactly what you were talking about. It would be basically the equivalent of what people say in Las Vegas today. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? John MacArthur writes this. He says the most prominent uh, evidence of the Acropolis was a temple to the Aphrodite, the, the Greek goddess of love. Some 1,000 prostitutes who were religious prostitutes lived and worked there and came down into the city in the evening to offer their services to male citizens and foreign visitors. It was messed up. In the Corinthian church, which was established by the Apostle Paul, he spent 18 months establishing this church uh, with, his, with a group of, of leaders, laying the groundwork for the church. 
Finally, after 18 months, he departed, and the church began to fall to the ways of the culture around them. They were tempted uh, by, by the, the, the many God worship. They were tempted by the sexual ethic. Uh, they were tempted by looking at uh, the ways of God through the lens of culture. And they fell into the temptation of the culture around them. And despite falling into sin, the church of Corinth had a great reputation throughout their city and throughout the region of being a church that was filled with the Spirit. A church that demonstrated such knowledge and, and oration skills. People would go to the church of Corinth and they'd hear, oh, did you hear that speaker? Or they would go, there, did you see the demonstration of everybody's gifts? They were known as the church of churches. If this was today, I've said this before, if this was today, there'd be merchandise lines. There'd be pastors that people would be lined up for miles just to get their autograph in their books. They'd be throwing conferences for every pastor in the empire to come and learn from their worship team and pastors that they can emulate everything that they're doing. They had a reputation where they might as well name themselves the upper, upper room. They were it. And Paul wasn't impressed. Their reputation to him was smoke and mirrors. So Paul began his letter to the church of Corinth with a stinging rebuke. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not yet ready for it. In fact, you're still not ready, because you are still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, you're not worldly behaving like mere humans. I, these people are getting a letter from the Apostle Paul. I'm like, oh, he's going to just say, hey, I heard what you're doing. Whoa, let me learn from you. And Paul's like, uh-uh, no, I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed. You're worldly. I'm not impressed. I see through what you're doing. You're not acting in the spirit, but you're acting out of the flesh. You think you're mature. And you're mentoring people, but you're mentoring people into your version and cultural Christianity, which isn't biblical Christianity. You think you're mature, you're babies. You think that you're on solid food, you're on milk. And we see in his first letter to the Corinthians, we see that he addresses factions and visions that are in the church. Immorality, misunderstandings of marriage, selfishness and personal liberty, a blurring of gender roles in the church, drunkenness at communion, uh, misuse and abuse of spiritual gifts. It had become a talent show of who's who, I'm going to outdo you. It's not about let's give Jesus the great glory that's deserving to him. Instead, it's like, hey, Jesus, look at me. No, 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 look at me. No, 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 look at me. It was a hot mess. It was a hot mess. And as a result, they were off mission with the gospel. And Paul, in so many words, is saying, stop the boasting, stop the pride, stop with the acting as if you've got it all together. Stop acting like the teacher and the leader, because the blind is leading the blind here. How did this happen? They gave into the temptation of the culture around them uh, to be transformed, not unto Christ, but to be transformed and to be influenced by Corinth. So we go to our launch passage this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's go to that right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, his warning to the church. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors, that is the Old Testament saints, our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. 
They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. If you read uh, the Old Testament uh, in the, in the uh, travel to the promised land, you'll notice that many of the Israelites rebelled against the ways of God. And as a result, many died in the wilderness. Verse 11. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. On whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Temptation. That's what swallowing up the church of Corinth. Temptation. It was an invitation for them to sin. But no, we're going to flip the script this morning. Temptation for us as a church, it must be an invitation to obedience. So what influences uh, our temptations this morning? The church of Corinth, it was a culture around them. It was bad actors within the church that were influencing with false teaching. So what are the influences in our temptations this morning? I asked you, what is the biggest temptation in your life? Okay, what is influencing that? What is fueling that temptation? You know, often uh, when we say, uh, what are you tempted by? We often try to blame the devil. We did a whole series on the devil. You can look that up. Uh, not today, Satan. It's on our, it's on our website. But uh, we often blame the devil, but it's not the number one thing. The reason why we succumb to our temptation is you. It's me. Why? Our flesh is weak. Your will is weak. Sorry, Will, I didn't mean to look at you when I said that. All right, so anyway, <laughs> I just realized. Your will is weak. Our flesh is weak. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall again we often blame the devil the devil made me do it we've heard that you may have said it but the reasons you give him to temptation has more to do with you your fallen will and the worst thing that can happen is you put too much trust in your own strength uh, in your own knowledge in your own natural power you're to put no stock in that you're to put no stock in how great i am or great you are we in our natural selves are bent towards our own destruction. Paul states this in Romans 7.18, that nothing good dwells in him. The prophet Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. Now this isn't a denial that we can't do good things or we should do good things. We should. This isn't a denial that, that, that God's glory can show, shine through you. But I want you to know you and yourself separated from God is in a self-destructive path. Jesus said it himself, apart from him, we can do nothing. We're to put no confidence in our flesh, none. And this is why I believe that individually and even collectively as, as a church, we can get into trouble. Is that we begin to bind our own press. We begin to bind our own strength and our talents and who we are. That doesn't impress God. That should impress us. Why? Because we are weak. We are weak. We need to look to the one who is strong. 
Without God, we are bankrupt. And it's exactly what the church of Corinth was guilty of. They had the knowledge. They had the, they, they had the appearance of, of, of Holy Spirit spirituality. But their actions showed that they were bankrupt. I had an electrician come to my house a few years back. And he asked me, hey, what do you do for a living? It's always fun to tell them I'm a pastor. And he's like, he's like, he's like I'm going to pastor tell us. Oh, no, what did I say, right? And so it's, it's fun. It's fun. Uh-huh. Um, so I told him I was a pastor. And, again, it always makes for interesting conversation. And he, he just admitted to me. He's like, you know, Andy, I, I quit going to church. You were going to church? Yeah, I was going to church. I'm like, well, that's wonderful. And, uh, and why would you quit going to church, though? I mean, I'm glad you went to church, but why would you quit? And he goes, well, because I got involved in a, in a small group, and they kind of themed their different small groups. And this small group was a beer-making small group. A, a beer-making small group? Yes, a beer-making small group. You know, we drew the hops and made the beer and all that stuff. And I'm, I, and, and I, I'm a recovering alcoholic. And I realized in the moment I'm not strong enough to go to this small group. My heart is absolutely broke, actually. Why is it that you go to the church and it's there that you're going to be tempted to be broken and fall into more of your humanity, right? And, and as he was talking, it, it, it made me realize this particular church was making more beer than disciples, all right? And I have to hand it to uh, this electrician. Uh, he knew that he was weak. He wasn't putting confidence in himself, uh, he could have easily put confidence in himself, and he realized if he did, he would fall off the wagon, and who knows where his life would be. Unfortunately, he's not, he wasn't in church at the time. I invite him here. But many, they trust their own strength to their own detriment. The Corinthian church, it relied on their own strength. They were the experts. They did things that were unorthodox. They paid their dues. Uh, they, they thought they had arrived, and therefore come and learn from us. You know what happens when you arrive? I've arrived. You know, you know what I'm saying? I've arrived, right? You go, you're on a long trip. You drive through those really boring states. You get to your Airbnb. You put the code in the door. You come in and see this beautiful living room. And what do you do when you arrive? You, you take off your coat if it's cold, right? You, you find the, the nice recliner. You take your shoes off. You put the seat back, and you've arrived, right? What happens is this spiritually is when we think we know a lot, when we've experienced the Holy Spirit in a dynamic way, we are have a temptation to find the spiritual recliner, put it back and say, God, I've arrived. And that's exactly where the enemy wants you. That's exactly where he wants you. He wants you in complacency. He wants you to think that you, you have nothing else to worry about. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. The enemy is waiting for that moment when you think you got it, when you think I can handle it, when you think it's in the past, I've recovered from it. We have an enemy who hates you, and he'll do nothing to make you think that you're strong enough. You see, it's easy to substitute our confidence of what we're to have in the Lord with confidence in ourselves. Why? Because naturally, pride wells up. Pride comes before the fall, it says in Proverbs, right? When we think we are the answer, we are one more step to saying yes to the temptations that we think that we're going to say no to. Jesus, on the eve of his crucifixion, was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he told his disciples to pray. Stay up and pray. This is what he said in Matthew 26, 41. Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into, what's it say there? Temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
We are to spiritually stay alert. We are to spiritually be awake, not woke to the things of culture, but awake to the things of God. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is our master, Lord Jesus Christ, telling us this. Do not rely on your own willpower. You will fail. Our, our Christian walk must not be the accumulation of what we know from Scripture. By the way, we need to know Scripture. The Scripture informs our theology, right? But that, you don't stop there like, I know the whole Bible. We've seen those people before, right? They know a lot, but they aren't living a lot, right? So we must not just know Scripture. Our mind will puff up. But we must not just be about our experiences. We'll blow up, right? You see the people that are all about experiencing God, but like they just blow up because they say a bunch of different things or they blow up situations because they, they, they think they have a red line to the Lord. It's spirit and truth. We must not rely on ourselves. So, ourself is an influence to our temptation. Secondly, I mentioned that it's not always his fault, but he's usually behind all of it, right? It's the enemy. Yes, sometimes the devil did make you do it, right? Sometimes he is, is so oppressing you, right? The enemy hates you. The enemy hates you. This is an influence. He hates you. 2 Corinthians, in the second letter that we have in Scripture to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 2, 9, this is what Paul says. He says, I wrote this purpose for this purpose, to test your character, to see if you're obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I do too, for what I have forgiven. If I have forgiven anything, it is for your benefit in the presence of Christ. Here it is, verse 11. So that we may not be taken advantage by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his schemes. He wants to take advantage of us. He is scheming against you this morning. What is a scheme? The original word for scheme is one that tries to get you to do something by deception. Satan is scheming for you to be distracted and destroyed by your temptations this morning. I, recent, I recently called the cable company. And uh, Satan picked up the phone. Uh, and <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. <laughs> like, where are you going with this? I recently called the cable company. And uh, it's not on my list of fun. I noticed my bill like went way up. I'm like, what in the world? How am I spending this much money? And you know, you know the game, right? And so you call them and they put you on hold for about three hours and then you, they, they type on their, they, I think they write a book for another hour, right? <laughs> and then finally they lower your bill by 10 bucks, right? And so that was, that's what I was going to do, all right? And as I'm on the phone trying to lower my bill, the person on the phone literally is trying to get me to buy their cell phone, right? Oh, how would you like the cell phone? I just got another cell phone. I don't need another cell phone. Oh, no, no, no. Well, we, we want to get you the cell phone. I'm, I'm here to get $10 off. No, no, no. And they, okay, let me, you know, just please hold. You hear the clicking, right? And then, all right, oh, how about the cell phone? It's like, I told you, I don't want the cell phone. It's like, look, we already have the SIM card in the mail, all right? You just put the SIM card in your phone, and then you can see how you like it. And at this point, it's literally been hours on the phone. I'm like, I'm just going to tell them yes. They've worn me down. I'll send it back, right? I just, I just got to get off the phone, and I realized they wore me down, right? They wore me down. Why am I doing this? So you know what I did at this point? I didn't get my $10 off, right? But I hung up because I realized I'm about ready to buy a phone. How am I buying a phone? I told them no 35 times. It's because they are persistent. Satan will be persistent in his schemes. By the way, if you work with a cable company, it's just an illustration. So anyway. 
enemy is scheming and he's persistent. He wants to wear you down. And sometimes we got to quit listening to him and we got to hang up the phone on him, right? He wants to wear you down. He wants to present you with an offer you can't refuse. He wants to say just one more time. Then you can go be fine. Or you know what? Why does it matter? Everybody else is doing it. He wants to wear you down and hit you up with this temptation over and over and over again. And don't be surprised by that. He's a schemer. He wants to take advantage of you. We just need to hang up. Quit listening to him. He doesn't have to live rent free in your head. You're no longer a slave to sin if you're in Jesus Christ. Well, how do I get rid of them in my head? I just hear these things. I hear these temptations. Start singing worship. I don't care if you have a bad voice. Start singing worship. I don't even care if the lyrics are right. Just start singing worship, right? It's a good thing I'm not a worship leader. <laughs> I'd be singing Amazing Grace to Waymakers, the melody, all right? I wouldn't. <laughs> but just start singing to them. Sing worship. Open up your Bible. Start reading. Start believing it. Recite the promises of God. And get with others in the faith to encourage you. To encourage you. Did you know that is the significance of Christian community? It isn't to talk about other people. It isn't to outdo one another. It isn't to put on the Christian clothes and put on the Caleb and look like a Christian, right? It, it is to actually encourage one another to be like Christ. It's amazing. It's why we love our city group. It's why we love to get together even just one-on-one getting coffee or just being a community of Christ. We have an enemy that hates you. And he wants nothing more to distract you and destroy you, and he'll be persistent. Know that. But temptation is an invitation to obedience. So the influences to our temptation is you. It's the enemy. Another one is your friends. Your friends. Your friends will influence you for the better, or I say tragically, oftentimes for the worse. If the devil can't get you, if you shut him out, guess what he's going to try to get you through? He's going to try to build a bridge with your friends. Your friends. A good friend is a gift from the Lord and can encourage you to be more like Christ. But Paul warns of the opposite. He warns this, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. He says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. I, mean, I had a friend who I was growing up with in the neighborhood, and uh, he had quite the mouth. He, his parents let him watch R-rated action movies in third grade, and eventually my parents put their foot down and said, Andy, you're not going to hang out with him anymore. It's like, why? It's like, we just don't like it. Right? It's a bad influence. Well, guess what? You don't have to teach kids to, you know, do bad things and, and, and defy parents and, uh, and you know, give in to temptation. I kept on hanging out with that friend. And some, I didn't think my parents knew. And yet somehow, every time I hung out with this friend, my parents knew. How was it? Oh, it's before, before you could track them with cell phones. No, they knew it by my action. They knew it by how I was treating them. They knew it by how I was coming across. They're like, you've been with that friend. I was like, how'd you know? Oh, no, I haven't. How'd you know, right? They know. Why? Because they radiate. You take it in. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good morals. That word company in the original means the association with. The association with. Who are you associating with? A person or a company can mean a group of people. It also, this word can mean uh, agreeing with or associating yourself with a line of thinking. 
you might not even know this person. So in the modern day, it could be a podcast that you're just kind of secretly listening to and it's influencing you. It could be a whole list of TikTok videos that in 15 seconds they're influencing your theology. By the way, your theology can't be influenced by 15 second TikTok video. You're much smarter than that. All right. I, I, I just I'm still just amazed about how bite sized people are are being influenced by. There's way too much context and study that 15 seconds can't do. The Corinthians, they were led astray by bad teachings, by myths, and associating with the wrong people. It's just like the famous quote, you show me your friends, I'll show your future. The people you hang with will influence how you think, how you act, how you'll go about life. Oh, but we think we're strong enough. I hear this all the time. I'm strong enough, right? Uh, you know, I, I think I, they won't pull me down. We all think we're strong enough to hang with people that will pull us down, that have an agenda with our hearts, are just downright in a bad place. Let me just say this. I say this to me. I say this to you. We are not strong enough. Peer pressure is a real thing. And we are to be influenced by the Lord God Almighty, not be influenced by culture around us. Now make no mistake. We are to reach those that are far from Christ. We are to reach those that, are, that have a far different morality uh, th than ours, okay? But there's a key thing here. God, Jesus Christ himself, he has anointed and appointed you with the gospel of Jesus Christ to be an influencer for Jesus Christ, not to be influenced. And what has happened with Christianity, what has happened with the church in the West, what has happened, I dare say, maybe even you and I, is we go into culture and we want to be liked. I'm not saying to be a jerk. I'm not saying to be uh, unlovely. No, we need, to be, we need to be kind and caring and graceful. What I'm saying is if we want to be liked, if, if we're like, oh, I want that group of people to really like me. I don't, I'm going to hide this part of Jesus. Or, oh, you know, I just I got to make this a little bit more palatable. Or I just, we've lost already. You, you aren't influencing. You're being influenced. I, I once I had a person that, in, in seminary. They're like, I'm going to go to the bars every Friday. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share my faith with everybody. And again, we're going to talk more about that issue. Should someone even do that? We're going to talk about gray areas when we get back in the book of Romans. It's going to be awesome, all right? But I remember this person saying this, and they, they were kind of a partier to begin with in high school. I'm like, I was like, dude, I don't think that's a good idea. He's like, oh, just leave me alone. Guess what he ended up doing? He did not influence. He was influenced, and he found himself under the influence, okay? What happens is this. The problem is we all think we're strong enough with the bad company that we connect with. You're not. I'm not. That's why Paul says this. Well, some of you are like, well, I, I don't know, Andy. I just, I, I hang out, but I just don't take part in their actions. I don't party when they, bring out the, when, when they bring out the drugs. Here's the deal, whether it's drugs or it's gossip. Listen, if you're, let's use gossip, for instance. If you're in a room that is full of gossip, you might not be doing the gossiping, but you're doing the listening, right? You're consuming. And see, a lot of people, we, 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 we look at the worst example in the room let's use this as a drug dealer uh, illustration right the worst person in the room you're in the room oh they're the drug dealers i'm not like that i'm just in the room i might just be listening listen here's the deal when we use gossip for instance if you're listening to the gossiping you might not be the drug manufacturer but you're the drug runner too often we give ourselves a pass with the people that we like to be around right the reality is paul says bad company corrupts good morals Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. 
For I've often told you, and I'll say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I was talking to some of my peers from the, the college I came from. A evangelical, Bible-believing, sending people off to ministry college. It's a wonderful college, wonderful university. But yet we were talking, and even in, I even think and tear up of my peers that no longer follow the Jesus of the Bible. People that were trained to go in ministry. People that are still in ministry. That don't believe in the authority, inspiration, the inerrancy of the Bible. That don't believe that Jesus is the only way. That don't believe that maybe Jesus was born from the virgin birth. What is this? How does that happen? Someone who's theologically trained, I'll tell you how it happens. Paul said it. He said, if you hang out with a bad company, it's going to corrupt what? Bad morals. It's an influence to our temptation. Friends can be a great source of growth or destruction. Choose wisely. I, let me give you this illustration. I grew up watching professional wrestling, all right? I was a Hulkamaniac, all right? There was a... Uh, there was one particular wrestler, his name was Sid. And anytime anybody would ever align with him, you knew within a few months it was trouble. He was going to power bomb his tag team partner. And so every time, like, I got a new tag team partner's name, Sid, you're like on, at home. No, why are you doing that? He's going to stab you in the back every single time. And yet, that's how we are in life. We think we're that person to change that person so we can hang out with them. I want you to know, they're going to powerbomb you. They're going to powerbomb you. Right in the middle. Who influences you to temptation? It's flesh, your flesh, it's your enemy. And dare I say, it could be even be your friends. Make sure your friends are encouraging you in the things of Jesus Christ. Temptation is doing things that God does not want us to do. Let me just say this as a bonus. When we talk about influences, let me tell you who will never influence you to sin. God never tempts. God will always be a positive influence in our temptations. Let me read this, James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone jesus will never tempt you to do something or throw something in your way so that you may fall but rather jesus is an example of how to react in temptations if you remember right when jesus was filled with the spirit uh, after his baptism he was led by the spirit out to the wilderness to be tempted why to show us what to do when we're tempted and so not to go through all of them but basically satan tries to tempt jesus by twisting scripture by twisting scripture and you know what Jesus does? He speaks scripture in context right back to the enemy. He shows us how to battle temptation and win in temptation. God doesn't tempt us. He shows us what to do when we are tempted. Temptation is an invitation to obedience. Jesus showed us that. So we see the influences. It's ourselves. It's the enemy. It could be our friends. But it's never God. So what do we do? We have to have a plan of obedience when we face temptation. So what's our plan? What's our plan when you face temptations of various kinds? You have to decide what you'll do before you're tempted. Decide what you will do before you're tempted to do it. What are you going to do? What are you going to do when that website pops up? 
Are you going to decide right now? For some of you, you need to take a baseball bat and smash your monitor. Smash your phone, right? If that's what it means, right? For some of you, it means put software on it, right? Or what are you going to do when, when, when someone begins gossiping to you? What are you going to do when, when you um, want to go shopping and, and, and put tons of money on your credit card? What are you going to do? you got to decide right now what you're going to do. Because if you're faced with that temptation without thinking about it, oh, it's going to own you. It's going to own you. Decide what you will do before you're tempted to do. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Paul tells the Corinthians, be alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. The Corinthians were not alert. They weren't loving. They weren't courageous. They weren't strong. But we need to be alert, alert to the satanic schemes. We need to be alert for the temptations that will come towards us. We need to be alert against the apathy that comes into our hearts. We need to anticipate temptation is coming. There's a man who struggled with alcohol. Um, and you know what? I, I just realized even after writing this, I have like uh, two or three alcohol illustrations this morning. And I just really think that maybe, I, I didn't plan that, and it's just the way it happened. Um, this may be for you in here, okay? Maybe you're struggling with this, and I want you to know you can beat this temptation, all right? But uh, there was a, a man who was struggling with alcohol for 15 years, and he thought I was behind him. And he called me up and said, Andy, I'm about ready to buy alcohol. I was like, wait, what? What are you doing? He goes, yeah, I, I just, it's, it's basically like speaking to him. Please help me. Please help me. I think he had a plan. He had a plan when it was going to come, even though it was 15 years later. His plan was to get help in that moment. You need to stand firm, not in your own strength, but in the faith in one who is strong. And we need to be courageous, not in ourselves, but courageous because we have a warrior that goes before us. Decide what you're going to do before you go on your phone, before that person calls, before that person asks you out, before you're invited to that party, before temptation comes. Have a plan for obedience. Decide what you're going to do first. Secondly, you need to flee temptation when it does arrive. It's coming. Decide what you're going to do. And then when it arrives, your plan is flee. Flee, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will now not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. Everyone is tempted. What we also see here is temptation is common. What the enemy loves for you to understand is, or he wants you to understand or think, is he wants you to think that you are going about this temptation all alone. You're the only one. Nobody's going to understand. No, it's common. Even temptations and the way it's sin is being repackaged today. Rome did it, right? All the sexual sin that we're seeing today, I mean, yeah, there might be some different nuances to it. It's all, there's nothing new under the sun. No temptation has come upon you except what's common to humanity. The enemy wants you to think that you're alone and that no one else is facing it, but people are facing it. And listen, you don't have to face it alone because you can face the Lord in your temptations. And guess what? Here's the promise. He provides the way out. He gives you by his spirit. He gives you by his word. He gives you by Christian community a way to say, Satan, no. 
no to the temptation. I will not go back into that. Oh, yes, I know how I'm going to feel the next day or two days or three days or maybe six months. But I know how I'm going to feel on the back end of that. The answer is no. And listen, it's going to arrive and you need to flee. But I think it's important, just practically speaking, take note when temptation arrives. Is it at night? Is it in the morning? Uh, is it uh, when you're alone? Is it in situations? What is it? I I'll tell you what. Sometimes Saturday nights is a complete and absolute battle of my mind. I begin to, you can ask Allison about this. I begin to just wrestle with the message. I begin to wrestle. And it's not, it's like a spiritual war. It's like, oh man, I got nothing this morning. I, I got to tell you that. That's, that's, that's the war in my mind. And I realize, I've come to realize, and that's really heavy. And it's like, I got nothing. I realize, ooh, this is something that we all need to hear. When do you go to war? Make note of that. So you can prepare that. So you can be like, oh, pleasant you arrived. I was waiting for you, right? You know, sometimes we think that we can just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again when temptation arrives and it'll be different. And you're like, why do I keep on failing? Well, you keep going to the party. Why do I keep on failing? Well, you, you keep on making compromises in your relationships. So why do I keep on failing? Because you, you keep on telling off your boss. Why do I keep on failing? Because you don't show up to work. You sleep in. You come late. What? It's like watching the movie Titanic. I know that it's a little bit old now at this point, but I remember when Titanic came out, people went and saw that movie over and over and over again. And it confused me. So I'm like, you're literally going to watch the ship go down in the water and everybody die. Hate to spoil it for you, all right? And what is it? And actually, people began to think about this. And this is what happens sometimes when we watch a movie that has a tragic part in it. When we watch it over and over and over again, we're hoping that somehow after the 35th watching of it, that it will be different. Am I right? I know for me, right? When in Star Wars Episode uh, 7 it was, and they killed, off, ooh, they killed off one of the main characters. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. And so when I watch each other, I'm like, no! Like, I, I knew that was going to happen. Right? We think that somehow, and we do this sometimes with, with tragic memories in our minds. We go over, over, and over, and over again thinking, somehow I'm going to make it different. Here's the deal. With temptation, you can make it different, but it's not going about temptation the same way every time and being caught off guard. Start making an anticipation uh, when temptation does come, how you're going to flee from it. Does that make sense? Finally, in, in preparing to be obedient when temptation comes, we need to receive grace and resistance and repentance. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 6. This is Paul speaking. Paul had just been caught up into heaven. He got to see heaven. All right? Now, we have a few people that have uh, had some heaven uh, tourism, heaven and hell tourism. They write books about it, make a lot of money. And um, I'm not saying, I'm not, that's, that's just what it is. All right? Paul didn't do that. He went to heaven. He saw heaven. And this is what he said. For if I want to boast, I wouldn't be a fool. Because I'd be telling the truth. He really saw it. But I'll spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me. Especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. A messenger of Satan to torment me. So that I would not exalt myself. 
Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. You see, Paul was caught up into heaven, and he saw, it was amazing, right? And you want to know something? He could be like, <laughs> I saw heaven. But instead, the cost of seeing heaven was he was given a thorn in the flesh from Satan himself. We don't know what it is. Some people think it's epilepsy. Some people think it's actually a, a sin, a temptation of his to, to boast. And whatever it was, Paul pled. He's like, God, take this temptation from me. Oh, man, some of us are that way, right? God, would you just please take these desires away from me? Would you just please take these temptations away from me? I'm begging you, God, please. And you do it once. You do it twice. You do it three times. You do it 3,000 times. But after the third time, you see what happened. Paul realized that even his pleading with God, the temptation is going to stick with him till death. And God is giving him a promise, even if the temptation doesn't go away. And it is this, and we can't miss this. His grace is sufficient for you. His grace, that means his favor. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he gives you favor upon his sons and daughters. He gives you grace to endure and be victorious through temptation. He gives you grace when you stumble and fall so that you can get back up and run. What I love about this passage that Paul gives the Corinthians is this. We are not victims. We are not to walk around acting like we've been victimized. Oh, yes, we may have a limp. Oh, yes, you may have been in a fight. Oh, yes, your past may have some really gut-wrenching parts in it. But I want you to know you're not a victim. You're a victor. Why? Because his grace is sufficient for you. When temptation comes, he will give you the power. He'll give you the favor to get through it and be stronger through it. Because when you go through the hard moments of life, know it's not in vain. If you follow Christ through it, he makes you stronger to endure even more. And that's what he wants from his church. So let's go. Let's go. You're not a victim. You're a victor. So how do we defeat temptations? Let's take this home. Number one, name the temptation that threatens to derail you. Name it. Don't ignore it. Name it. Number two, make the right adjustments to prepare for when that temptation comes. Number three, walk in faith and victory. And ask for grace when you fail. And quit beating yourself up for when you've already asked for the grace of Jesus Christ. He's forgiven it. Some of you are beating yourself up with things that Christ has thrown to the bottom of the ocean floor. Give it to God daily. God knows you're going to need it daily. Live life in church community. I want to say something about this here. If you are younger in the faith or young, you need to connect with somebody who's older in the faith and who has walked through it. So many times we get in circles of people and, and we are just digging ourselves all a, a, a ditch. Live life in church community. And number six, last thing, it's not on there. This goes for anybody who's never placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you've never made Jesus Christ personal, this is what you need to do first. You need to place your faith and trust in him alone. You need to receive that favor. You need to receive that grace. You don't do it by doing good. You do it by receiving what Jesus Christ already did for you. Do you know for certain that Jesus Christ is your Savior? Are you for certain that if you were to die today, and you would, would you go to heaven? You can make certain of that today. Are you right with Jesus? Make certain of that right now. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's let God just move in our hearts now. Lord Jesus, I just pray for anybody 
that doesn't know you as Savior. God, I pray right now that you uh, would move in their hearts and they would realize they need you as Savior. And so today, as everybody's heads bowed and eyes are closed and everybody at home, I want you to know this. You can have a relationship with Jesus right now. He created you to have a relationship with you. Uh, but the problem is, is that we've sinned, we've done wrong, we've given into those temptations, and that separates us from Almighty God. What worldly religion tells you is that somehow if you're good, you can get back to God, but that's a lie. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How do you get that eternal life? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, who, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you're forgiven. Have you asked personally to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? If you haven't, talk to him right now, and he'll receive you, forgive you, and you'll become a son and daughter of the king. Place your full faith and trust that Jesus died on the cross, standing in your place, taking on all your sins, past, present, future. Jesus died on the cross. He died. He was buried. But three days later, he rose from the dead because he's a perfect, sinless sacrifice. Death couldn't keep him. Because of that, we have a life-giving message. Jesus Christ is alive, and he's ready to receive you right now. Will you do that? If you need to receive Jesus Christ, just tell him, Lord Jesus, I want to place my faith and trust in you alone. If that's, in fact, if that's anybody in this room, with every uh, head bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, you're like, yep, today I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm placing my faith and trust in him alone. Will you just let me know? Just slip up your hand and just say, that's me. I want to place my faith and trust in Jesus. Raise that hand up high and say, that's me. I want to place my faith and trust in Jesus alone. Thank you. And again, if you're online, uh, just let us know. Uh, you, can, you can reach out to us. Let us know if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus or, 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 or connect with us. And Lord God, I pray for everybody in this room now that when temptation comes, we know that we are not a slave to sin. But we're children of God. Help us, God. Help us to decide before it comes. Help us to flee when it comes. And help us to receive grace when we fight it even when we fail. Thank you that your love is not dependent upon our actions, but what you did on the cross. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.